isn't Michael the Ho Sokolovsky. Uh, the host, host, st, st. Sorry, lost in translation. See, I'm going to do it properly. Watch me. Well, if it's not Hava, the giant whore de Cordova. <laughs> it's Brittany, bitch. This probably won't be relevant to you, but I'm sure many of our listeners had this moment when Brittany released that album with It's Brittany, bitch on it. I forget what song that starts, but Womanizer is on the album. I was just like a young gay in college freshly abandoned by my family freshly like searching for meaning and when i heard it's britney bitch like i lost my mind i was the gayest i've ever been at that moment um she really unleashed something within me okay yeah yeah um i've never <laughs> i've never experienced a moment like that i've seen other people have this moment uh-huh. There's this one kid in my high school. He was like the only out kid our freshman year. Mm -hmm. And no one really talked to him as far as I could tell. But like one time I was just brazen enough. For whatever reason, I was like, hey, you're gay, right? And he was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, duh. And I said, you should come and join the theater group. And I came and joined the theater group, and maybe six months later, I just remember all of these groupies that he had around him in theater, and they were all singing one of the lady gaga songs that just came out Great. together and i was like wow incredible and later on he, he brought that up to me like in the future he was like yeah that was a, <laughs> thanks for the wreck for joining theater. <laughs> like, no problem that's cute no problem that's cute yeah, yeah for me this brandy moment was like as close as i'll probably ever get to experiencing beatlemania oh yeah yeah in my yeah. life i feel like bernie is the closest I'm going to get to experiencing uh, Beatlemania. Is that, should I not bring that up? <sighs> no, it's not that you shouldn't bring it up. I just don't like to think about how hopeful I was for that brief moment where it seemed like he might win the primary. I like try to forget that glimmer of hope because it made, it's more painful than just if it had never happened. Yeah, I agree with that. But also now I'm excited about Fran Drescher and the new dude who's the head of the United Auto Workers Union. I don't know about him. I know oh about God. UIW stuff right now, but I don't know about this guy. You should watch some of his speeches. It's pretty pretty impressive. He's uh wow. he's quoting the Bible, he's quoting Malcolm X. Wild. Yeah. He's got some interesting rhetoric, but how are you, Hava? I'm well, Baruch Hashem. Um this past weekend was Rosh Hashanah. I went to services in Providence. I blew the show far. I was really dragging my feet going to services because my natural Hermitage has really been amplified by COVID in a way that I'm only now starting to reckon with. I was hoping you would say my natural hermitage is the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. <laughs> I love the European art there. I go there every day. Anyway, continue. And so I was just like, oh, I don't want to do anything. I don't ever want to see anyone. I just want to stay home forever. But I'm really glad that I went and blew so far because getting to like be the person that like helps a room full of people fulfill a mitzvah is just like su such a special feeling. Then one of my BFFs took me out to lunch at a very fancy restaurant in Providence Ooh. to Pasta Beach, for those of you who know. I'm not familiar with Pasta Beach. It's a really fancy pasta restaurant. I had some Parmesan sauce pasta. It was the most Parmesan-y dish I've ever had in my life, and it was delicious. Oh my God. And I ordered a sangria with lunch, and instead of coming in a glass, it came in like 
a mini pitcher, like a pitcher the size of a large glass. Well, that's that's nice. It was a very fancy experience. Yeah, so Rosh Hashanah was great. And then everything has felt really weird since then because I have that feeling that I think people often have during like the week of Christmas break where everything is off kilter and weird and like... You know, when you were a kid, you weren't going to school. And so it's like, oh, it's this weird in between time where I know I'm going to go back to school very soon, but I'm not right now. But no one else is having most other people aren't having that feeling. I don't know if our listeners know this, but most people aren't Jewish, shockingly. So no one else is like in my day to day is there with me. Oh, yeah. Part of the magic of that sort of feeling is that other people are experiencing it with you. Mm -hmm. So I just feel very like out of time, you know very like in a timeless miasma but it's fine it's not a negative feeling it's just like a weird yeah it's weird a weird vibe um michael yes Ava. hi how are you um i'm good i have a slightly sick girlfriend who i love oh no did you hear that i said i loved you gay i know it was pretty gay yeah she's got little tum-tum pain oh which happens bummer every once in a while Thoughts and people. prayers. We harvested 56 pumpkins from our garden. Oh my year. gosh, you were telling me that the other day. That's why, That's so many pumpkins. How big are the pumpkins? Well, we did about like a third jack-o'-lantern pumpkins, Connecticut field pumpkins. Classic, classic Connecticut field pumpkin. And then two-thirds the sweet pumpkins. Got it. And the sweet ones are like little babies. Yeah, they're in between, you know, a candle pin bowling ball and a regular oh bowling God. ball. You know. That is... How dare you? What do you mean? Nobody knows what a candle pin bowling ball looks like. Oh, if you're in from New England, you do. If you're from New England, my condolences. Oh, it's the only place to be from if you're from America. And if you're not from America, <laughs> you should be from Italy. That's the only acceptable option. Oh, my God. The show is over. <laughs> Speaking of being from New England or from Italy, my boyfriend has been guiding me and watching episodes of The Sopranos recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. Been becoming acculturated to Sopranos culture. What do you think? You know, I was really struggling with it until the wife started having more plots and still she was like having her own little dramas. And then I was like, I'm in. I'm in. Desperate Housewife, I'm on board. Part of the problem is just I watched all the prestige HBO television in the wrong order. Because when I was in college, everyone I was in college with was really into weeds, which was just coming out actively at the time. And... The Sopranos was really the blueprint for the HBO show of like, our main character is a piece of shit, but you can't help but love him. Right, right, right. Which right. is the exact same blueprint as Weeds and every other show HBO produced between like 2000 and 2020. So I just already got tired of that yeah, before yeah, yeah. getting to the original. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think The Sopranos is a notch above maybe some of the standard prestige that's coming out now, you know? A lot of yeah. social commentary about the declining middle class, perhaps, in The Sopranos. Yeah, my boyfriend has a lot to say about the, the various commentaries and symbologies. Sopranos is, like, really high on his interest list, so he has a, a deep analysis of each, you know, visual theme. Anyway, what has brought us here today? Oh, what has brought us here today? Why is this episode different from all other episodes? Well, this episode is going to be different from the last episode. Because last episode was Temple OS. I know. Mazel tov to us. Yes, mazel tov to us. So this is very light, very airy. Great. I'm going to read you a little Mishnah that's on Avodah Zarah 35b. One of our 
greatest, most used tractates on this. Is it really? On this podcast. Yeah, I feel like it comes up more often than you would think. Because it's so spicy. I know, it's a very spicy one. Okay, anyway, give me the Mishnah. So this Mishnah, it lists items belonging to Gentiles, which you're not allowed to eat. Mm-hmm. But you are allowed to derive some benefit from. So, Got but it. You're not okay. So these are sort of in-betweeners. Yeah, in-betweeners apparently. So milk that was milked by a Gentile and a Jew did not see him performing this action and their bread and oil. So the Mishnah notes that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi and his court permitted the oil of Gentiles entirely. So what this is saying is, yeah, like your Jews are allowed to have milk, but you're not allowed to have Secret milk. milk that comes from a Gentile or their bread that they made. I didn't even oil. know you could milk Gentiles. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of this particular Mishnah, but this Mishnah and ones perhaps preceding it, but definitely coming after it. And for certain, the Gemara gets into this interesting aspect of Kashrut law that I was okay. not aware of. Having to do a secret milk? Having to do with not being allowed to consume food that was prepared by Gentiles. Oh, right. This has a lot to do with how kosher wine is made. Yeah, kosher wine I was aware of, but I wasn't aware that there was this sort of on its face, and we'll get into how this really isn't applicable, but like on its face, it seems like if a Gentile made you a salad of kosher material, Mm -hmm. kosher food, you're not allowed to eat it. Okay, lay it on me. So, did you know this, first of all? Like, did you know that this was a... Um, uh, you know, I, I knew about kosher food, kosher versus not kosher, and I knew right. about the wine exception where it needs to be made by Jews in order to be kosher grape wine specifically, but did were you aware that there was... Yeah, I guess I did think it primarily applied to wine. I hadn't really thought... I mean, now that I, like, take a moment to think about this, I think about how in the Talmud, there are all kinds of prohibitions against, for instance, eating at the house of an Amha Aretz, like eating at the house of someone who doesn't follow the mitzvahs, because you don't know, like, did they prepare the food in the right way? Did they tie the vegetables? Did they, what if they, the milk and the meat touched? Whatever, whatever. So I guess intuitively, it makes sense that that would extend to someone to whom the mitzvahs don't even apply. Yeah, I guess so. It just seems, uh, I guess in my mind, when I think of why a restaurant would say that it's kosher, in Mm -hmm. my mind, I always thought of that as, well, all the ingredients are kosher. Right. But now I look at a kosher restaurant and I think like, well, it's more than just all the ingredients are kosher. It's that all the ingredients were prepared by Jews or supervised by Jews, supervised in quotes. Like, we'll get into the exceptions a little mm-hmm. bit here. This isn't going to be right. an exhaustive Kashrut episode because that's just impossible yeah. for anyone except for the most. Uh, never mind. If you feel <laughs> like yourself, people. But yeah, just a, it was a different way of thinking about Kashrut laws that I hadn't considered before. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just the material substance of what's going in your mouth, it's the context for how it got to your plate and your mouth right it's a it's a a holistic situation yes yes jews are holistic so i won't read the specific parts of avodazara the gemara that comments on this but i'll give you a summary a couple of takeaways that were helpfully summarized by the talmud commentary of joshua culp Called Ugh, the Love English explanation of the Mishnah by Dr. Joshua Culp. Oh, I know. It's so good. I just discovered it this week. I had I use no it idea. All the time. And 
Side note, Joshua Culp also wrote the paper about the role of the Beit Din in rabbinic society that inspired the Shalmala class, Reinventing Conversion, and sort of my whole hot take on conversion that we did a couple episodes on in the early days. So Joshua Culp doesn't know that he's a friend of the show, but he is spiritually a friend of the show. All right, Joshua Culp, thank you. Thank you for your work. Anyway, the mission that we read was on 35B. This is Joshua Culp's commentary on 38A. Okay. And he says, introduction. Today's section deals with several Amoraic statements that limit what types of foods cooked by non-Jews are prohibited to Jews. So, if the food can be eaten while it is raw, then cooking does not make it edible, for it was edible before. Thus, even if it is cooked by a non-Jew, a Jew can still eat it. An example would Checks be out. a tomato. So, that salad example I cited earlier, it's a non-issue. All the ingredients can be eaten raw, so it's a non-issue. And then I guess like yeah. a gazpacho, these would all be like non-issues according to the rabbis. Yeah, I mean, I could see a point being brought up that like, even though something is te- like something like a squash is technically edible raw, it is not eaten raw. Like, how, how, like, there's a lot of things you can eat raw, just like how much of them can you eat raw and what are the consequences? Right, 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 right. So a little bit, this is like show this category is pretty loosey goosey because you can basically eat anything raw. Just like what will happen after you do it and will it taste good? So the real question is, is this eaten raw or not? Here's another interesting rule that I haven't found mentioned in commentaries on the Gemara, but I think it's worth saying, and I think this really is a big help. Joshua Culp goes on. He says, if the food is not, quote, fancy, unquote, enough to be put on the table of a king to be eaten with bread then the prohibition does not apply. Okay, I can see how these halachas were easily done away with. Yes, you know, yes. If this is a halacha that you wanted people to follow, it feels like it was written to be overturned. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, what is the purpose of this rule? It's saying, so like, if it's like common peasant food, like, we're not going to concern ourselves, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I haven't studied this section, so I don't know the agenda, but part of me thinks it's like, you know, supposedly the reason we don't often don't drink wine prepared by non-Jews is because what if it is like mixed with wine that was going to be used for Vodazara, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. The fancy food makes me think that there's part of this that's about would this food have been an offering to a deity of some kind? Like, is this food good enough to be, like, used for ritual purposes or is this just regular ass food? Okay, interesting, interesting. That's just like my first intuitive guess. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking if it's only food that's appropriate for a king, I don't know. What if you think kings are not appropriate to begin with? <laughs> yeah. Then is does that mean no food? That's is the, the problem with all, with all this halacha so far is it's just like, well, what is like fit for a king? What about a king in wartime when he's out on the battlefield? probably puts all kind of crazy shit on his table yeah you get men in wartime together they'll put all sorts of things in their mouth and they'll just put anything on a table if you know what i mean the gemara goes on but i'm going to give you a little summary that was put together by the Schechter institutes which i believe is a yeshiva in 
Jerusalem that is associated with the conservative movement. I think that's true. They have a really good primer on why some Jews refrain from eating food that's cooked by non-Jews and what are the rooms for leniency. So okay. they cite this whole Avodazara section as the root for this. But they go into some interesting details about what are the reasons for the prohibition. Various rabbis, including Maimonides, say that like the reason you don't want to eat food with Gentiles is because you want to avoid intermarriage. Oh my gosh, this is really like taking me to recent news because there was just a teshuva published by the conservative movement about eating at vegetarian restaurants that aren't kosher. Oh. And basically they said like intermarriage isn't as much of a concern, so it's fine. Basically like eating at vegetarian restaurants isn't going to cause intermarriage because our world is so intermixed already. So we're going to make an official ruling that this is fine. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The other reason that's given by some rabbis and by at least the writer of this article, who's Rabbi Professor David Golinkin, he says, yes, there's the intermarriage issue. And then there's the if someone isn't trained in, in the dietary rules, then they might mess something up. So there's fear of like messing up happening. But I guess in the context of a vegetarian restaurant, you know, they're not going to mess up. That would be impossible for them to mess up if it's entirely vegetarian. Right. So the only outstanding issue would be the intermarriage issue if you take that one mm -hmm. seriously. So that's kind of cool that that was a that was a ruling that they made. Yeah, super recent, like a couple months ago. Oh, neat, 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 neat. So here are some other exceptions to this rule of eating food that was prepared by Gentiles. So there's an accepted leniency that it's permissible to eat food cooked by non-Jews if a Jew participates in the cooking. Okay. Rambam talks about this. Shulchan Aruch, there's references to that. But another leniency is if the Jew lights a fire, then that's enough, apparently. Okay. And there's another leniency that it's sufficient for the non-Jew to use a Jew's fire, even if the Jew is not present. Okay, right. My fire that I just leave burning for anyone to use. Then there's the, you're allowed to cook food made by a non-Jew if it was made in the home of another Jew. Okay, interesting. This, I believe, has been extended to also include businesses owned by Jews. Right, so if if I own the kosher restaurant, then everybody can make food in it. Exactly. Interesting. Those are some of the leniencies. See, this is just proof that this halacha was like made to be overturned, proved even more by the fact that neither you nor I had actively thought about this very much in our lives. Proves how just yeah, like legislated yeah. away it's been. I mean, it reminds me of like a lot of times when conservatives rarely allow environmental legislation to be passed, what they'll do is put so many stipulations in whatever the implementation is that they know that it will ultimately be like a failure as a program or as a regulation because it just won't be practical for anyone to do. This feels like there's so many loopholes already in the halacha at base that it took like no effort at all to get it to be basically non-existent. Right, right, right. But it's still kind of weird that at least me and probably other people too thought that kashrut law was about the material. Mm -hmm. 
and not the preparation process right. to the point where I thought the wine, the grape wine kosher rule was the only one was the exception that proves the rule. But actually, right. it's right. It's not. It's not. It, this has just been so buried. And, you know, I could imagine like an anti-Semitic version of this episode coming out being like the secret truth of Jews. They won't eat our food. They won't eat our food. They don't want to eat our food. Yeah. And that's not what this is, but it is very interesting that this is yeah, a thing. Yeah, it is. It really made me want a salad. Yeah, I'm hungry, for sure. I'm just imagining the sound of someone, like, chopping crisp lettuce. <sighs> Makes me hungry. I do love crisp lettuce. What do I want? Oh, we made a pumpkin pie, by the way, with one of our pumpkins. Oh, was it good? It with your pumpkins, good. I assume? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's good, because if Ananju had made it, you know, it would have been forbidden pumpkin pie. Can't have that. Well, Grunge Girl did make it, and she's a Ananju. But it was made in your home. Well, I mean, so. it's owned 50-50, you know. So. But did you light the fire? <laughs> it's the question. Uh, she may have preheated the oven. <gasps> well, Michael admits to sinning live on air. Sure, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Yeah, this is a really interesting tidbit i mean the interesting part the most interesting part to me is yeah both how unaware you and i both were of it and also how that unawareness is a result of how abstracted away it's been yeah yeah it's amazing it's just two different models of how stuff is being done that overlap just enough that you wouldn't notice yeah you i mean it also kind of reminds me of Air roofs, you know, how in, in most neighborhoods where there's a high Orthodox population, there's usually an air roof so that people can do some carrying on Shabbat. Yeah. And it's just like that loophole is just like so used that it sort of like has become the norm. Right, right, right. And so you don't even think about the situation of not that being the case. Yeah, I wonder if there's situations where, you know, the air of breaks falls and then people oh yeah there is there's i i used to work on the east side of providence at a starbucks and the guys who check the a roof would come in in their little yellow safety vests with the kippa on and get coffee while they were going around the neighborhood checking the a roof to make sure it was intact but like if it does fall are people maybe even the rabbis would say like oh no we actually don't know what to do because we haven't really oh, lived no, I'm in this sure context. They know what to do. Yeah, they probably do know what to do. But I imagine there are plenty of Jews in the pews who would be sure. befuddled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, it's it's like FEMA workers. You have a couple people who know what to do in the situation. <laughs> right, who direct everyone else. It's like the FEMA A roof people. That makes sense. What a luscious tidbit of Talmud. What a what a piece of crisp lettuce of text. Just something light um, with... An um, aperitif yeah, prepared by an Anjou. With weird tinges of exclusivity and superiority complexes. Uh, right, right. Woven in. So there you go. Yeah, great mouthfeel. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, no comment. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Oh my gosh. It's like mouthfeel is just like a fancy way of saying texture. The other word that's like that that really annoys me is colorway. What? Colorway? What's that? Colorway, like people say like, oh, I got like this Ikea couch in the sage colorway. In the sage color? I've never heard that. It's a, like a, a fancy way of saying color. Oh, Sometimes I think no. people use it when they're saying like color scheme versus, co I don't know. It's just an annoying fancy term. If you know a reason why it's legitimate, listeners, 
write in and tell me off. Okay, well, I think everyone should stop that. That's not good. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, thanks for bringing this tidbit, Michael. To all our listeners out there, Shana Tova, and, you know, wishing you all the best. Just like I mentioned last week, go check out all of Shomala's fall offerings. It's going to be a hot, sexy, sweaty fall of Talmud. And without further ado, Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov.